Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender. If you work in HR or make people decisions in your organization, this is the place to be. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. It is Corporate Bartender time. You know what that means. It's time to share some stuff, to laugh, to have a drink, alcohol-laden or not. Um, and we're going to hang out with Eve McLean. Look at Eve today. Everybody Hi. wave to Eve. Hi. <laughs> Coming from the couch. We are, yeah, Eve, Eve's doing it from the couch uh, where she has her fireplace going. So it is a literal fireside chat with Eve McLean today. Yes. So, so we, are, we, are, we are episode 54, September 9th. And let's just get right on into it, if I can get my mouse to work. Today's agenda... I don't think we have any newbies today. It looks like regular crew. Um, got a little bit of news, framing question, and then we're going to talk to Eve like we do. Um, the news was interesting today. I was just kind of looking around uh, at, you know, the return to office stuff that we, we talk about on a regular basis. And here we are, September. It's, it's still just all over the map. Um, <laughs> I thought this... Uh, article from the conference board was interesting. 35% of U.S. companies do not know when they'll reopen. Yeah. Right? Here we are, six months in. We still have no <laughs> idea. Uh, GM and Ford uh, both joined the cadre of companies uh, staying out until June 2021. Mm. Have you wondered if the other 65% who do know when they'll reopen are actually lying or will end up changing their mind. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, Reed Hastings from Netflix put it this way. Uh, we'll go back to work when the majority of people have been vaccinated. Jeez. Right? I thought that was a biggie. And, you know, Google and Facebook and Uber and just, everybody's, everybody's sort of putting the mark in the sand at next summer sometime and, who even knows what that'll look like? You know, we had, we had a uh, the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. I don't know if you guys saw. Um, it was put on pause today after somebody got sick with the thing that they don't know if it was caused by the vaccine, or they said they got to pause it and figure out what happened. Um, apparently, it's not that uncommon, um, but it was being reported on as if it were a major setback. So, I was just thinking about how that plays into, especially Reed Hastings' comments. I mean. Who knows when that'll be? That next summer's a broad swipe, but that's that's a bold statement. And it was interesting because in that article, and I I'll put links on the on the webpage and in the network so you guys can check out the articles. In the articles, he he calls work re working remotely a complete negative, which I thought was interesting. So he doesn't really dig it, but he's basically saying this is what we're doing. I thought that was worthy of note. Anybody else have any comments on this return to work debacle craziness? Well, my comment is I I don't know did I if I shared this last week I so just humanly apologize but um, I have some connections as probably you do as well uh, for people in the medical world and unfortunately the virus is mutating and in terms of a vaccination it's going to be like the flu vaccination it's going to be very specific to a strain of specific to a season 
So I think we need to be realistic on, on how we think the efficacy rate of a vaccination and certainly a first edition is going to be. So, yeah, wah, wah, I'm sorry. <laughs> just sharing is caring. <laughs> just, just a little jolt of sunshine there, Tina. Thank you. <laughs> Very true. I mean, the virus, the whole goal of a virus is to spread. And if it is killing itself off, like it was in the very beginning, it was so powerful that it was killing off its host. So it is mutated into not killing off its host and being able to transition from person to person. And so that's why we see it's con continually mutating. And um, just like you said, Tina, there's a vaccination isn't going to be necessarily the, the end all be all. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's interesting that I take solace in some of the research that's done on uh, RNA and uh, I can't remember which cells. It's a letter, T cells maybe. Um, and basically, basically what they're finding in the early research is that people who are exposed to a lot of colds over time, because colds are coronaviruses as well, um, have lesser, less severe symptoms. At least that's mm -hmm. how the, the first tranche of research is looking um you know so it uh, adds some credence to your mom's idea of rubbing some dirt on it and <laughs> getting back in the game so i, I thought that was interesting <laughs> so if if those built up antibodies that have fought coronaviruses in the past loosen or reduce your severity you know that that helps with a vaccine that's specific to one strain but yeah, it's it's a mess, and it looks like it's going to be a mess. I saw another article today that I almost put in here. It, the The headline was, "So what did college administrators think was going to happen?" <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. and now they can't go home. They're like, "Don't send the kids back home. We don't right. want them." <laughs> My first week of class, I think I've already got five or six kids on quarantine. Oh. Wow. wow. Yeah, my, kids, my kids started back this week, so. <sighs> we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> right on. Well, in the spirit of our conversation with Eve today, I wanted to put the framing question up as, you know, what ethical challenges are you guys seeing in this distributed workforce, work from home type of situation are you seeing anything new is it the same old greatest hits um what's happening out there for you on the ethics front can i share examples with from my boss it's a substrate Oh, you're asking a specific person. <laughs> I think that's a generic question, right? I'm being careful not to kick this one off. <laughs> right. Generic question. Anybody noticing anything different? Are you dealing with the same sort of employee issues? Are there different sort of, of, of ethics violations or cheats on time or anything, really? I'm just curious. Maybe your employees are awesome. You know, one thing we haven't, knock on wood, um, and you may have talked about this in a prior edition, but seeing a lot of reports around with everyone working from home, what are the types of workman's comp claims that are mm. coming up and insurance and just what 
looks like. Yeah. I'm afraid to put that out in the ether, but it's, <laughs> it, there's definitely noise in that. Yeah, well, I, I know... <laughs> I know Lori and I were talking the other day about, um, you know, folks who have been sitting in folding chairs for six months. Um, you know, at what at what point does that translate into into um, you know workers' comp claims? Just yeah, we're actually we're actually investigating some some of the budget savings from our lack of travel, re reinvesting into um, some sort of dollar amount for each employee to invest in office productivity, <laughs> whatever that, whatever that looks like in your environment, um, which kind of speaks to that whole, are we going back in January? Are we going back in March? Are we going back in June? Right. And that, um, because of the length of time people have been home, you know, we're hearing from a variety of sources, you know, I just got back from my chiropractor or I, you know, just, had to get acupuncture for my neck pain <laughs> because of these, you know, temporary circumstances that people have been working in. So we're trying to maybe mitigate that a little bit. I think that's that, funny. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I think that temporary part with the quotes has been the big kicker because even my husband's um, employer, uh, he does a job where you really don't want his constituents to have his number, his home number or his cell number. And so even this far in, he's been home since March, they still have to call his desk, leave a voicemail. He then has to call it, then put the, you know, star six, nine or whatever the heck that thing is and make the phone call out. And everybody's kind of like, this is really too long to be temporary. Should we be paying for people to have a phone at home? Should we be paying for part mm. of their cell, for their internet usages? I mean, if you think about it, we've been out of the office for, shoot, almost a year now, or I guess six months, <laughs> but it feels like forever. Dog years. Yeah, right. Yes, exactly. dog years. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting, the, the notion, this temporary thing. Temporary has lasted longer than a lot of employees I've hired over the years into a gig, right? <laughs> well, that I mean, that's a that's a good segue. Um, Eve's here with us today, and many of you know Eve and know of her awesomeness. Um, she's she's kind of been around the block. She's been there, done that, got the T-shirt. She's the director of education for the Business Ethics Alliance in Omaha, um, and they're out there to help organizations get better, building leadership and strengthening them through positive, practical business ethics. She's She's been in the game for a while. She's been a, an HR person, a leadership development person. She's got over 20 years of experience in this space. Um, she's got global experience. I, I've had the the good fortune of doing programs with Eve in England and Germany. Never made it to the Far East, but you know, hey, there's always there's always the future. Um, she she's degreed. She's legit smart. She knows yeah. about coaching and training and use of psychometrics. And she's now a professor of business management at Midland University. And she said she's already got five students in quarantine. How many students are in your class, Eve? Forty-one. <laughs> oh. So decent percentage there. <laughs> yep. 
but I had to laugh because when I went into this, I'm like, we're going to be writing papers. We're not going to be doing all these tests because I don't want to know what they can regurgitate. And they're like, you have 41 students. I'm like, shit, I'm not reading that much every week. I was like, <laughs> quizzes. <laughs> these poor students. <laughs> Seemed well, like a good you, idea. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about you, about your background, you know, your career journey, and any, any weird jobs or stuff that you might have done in your past. Yeah, so my weirdness started at the beginning. Um, I went to college for mathematics and computer science. Um, and it's because I have a deep love of algebra and process systems, frameworks, hold, all these things. Hold on. hold on, let me pause you there. You have yeah. a deep love of algebra. Deep love, deep, deep love. So you know what's so cool about algebra? There's two things that's cool about algebra. Number one, you can get this seriously complicated thing and get it down to something simple. That's the first thing. And number two, there's always an answer. It doesn't even matter how weird it is. It can have letters in it. It can be like a string long, but there's always an answer. So it's more about problem solving, which is what I loved about algebra. And that's what surprised me. But I was kind of screwy and thought it was in algebra that I loved. So I went to major in that. And, and um, how'd that you know, work out for you? <laughs> in algebra, I always came up with an answer, but my teacher didn't always agree it was an appropriate answer. That's her fault. <laughs> <laughs> I needed you 30, 40 years ago. <laughs> well, the algebra thing didn't work out so well. Um, the, the first real argument that I got into was with an engineering student. And I argued that you cannot hold up a wall with an imaginary number. And I failed miserably. Like it was a knockdown drag out fight and they were convinced that you could. And I was convinced that I was not supposed to be in this profession. And then the <laughs> second problem was, is I went to college in the nineties. And so we were just figuring out things like social boards on the internet and we were starting to play with technology. That's why I was going for computer science. And when you did your algebra, or when you did your, your calculus, if you did something wrong, putting it in the system, the system would just fail and it would give you like a random failure, failure code 40. <laughs> failure code 40 had nothing you, that you could look up. So you didn't know if you put, you know, if you're missing a comma in your coding or if you had gotten the entire equation wrong in your calculus, <laughs> there was no way. So I lasted in mathematics for a semester. <laughs> so that was it. So you, you, you tapped out and, and what did you, out. what did you, what did you switch to? Well, my husband came home, found me bawling on the bed and said, what is wrong with you? And I said, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And he said, well, what do you like to do? I said, I like to talk. And he said, did you major in talking? I did. There's a degree in it. <laughs> I have a degree in interpersonal communications with a minor in um, English and certifications in corporate training. And so I went out into the world with my degree in 1999 when the markets were flushed with jobs. It was awesome. It was the time to be looking for a job. And I joined, um, which was then U.S. West. So it's now CenturyLink or Quest or whoever they became. And I went to do held orders. And so that's, they, it, Colorado was a huge problem at the time. Uh, so when we get they that a lot. Well, when they laid out the phone wires in Colorado, there wasn't that many people. And it used to be that you only needed like, you know, one phone into your house. 
And in the 90s, people started getting fax lines and teen lines and this internet thing came about and all these people moved to Colorado and there were no phones. So we had held orders. And so that's what they hired me to help out with is held orders. And while I was there, I saw something. What did you see? I saw something. Um, I was young and naive, which is a great time to be alive. And I was watching to get into this held order job. You had to go through four weeks of training and you took a pass fail test at the end of it. And they failed out 66% of their participants. And so because I was young and naive, I did the math on what that costs the company. And I went up to my boss and said, this is how much money it costs you to fail out all these people. And I can fix this, by the way. Why did I think that? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking. So they just kind of Did they give you a shot at fixing it? Well, no, they sent me back to my desk. And then (laughs) go answer the phone. Um, But about four weeks later, they came back and said, well, how do you think you can fix this? And I said, well, you've got some problems. Because remember, I'd gone through the training. I said, you have some problems. You have four weeks of content, and it's all equal. Like, like the year the company was founded is as important as how you install a phone line. Every piece of content you provide is equal. And you cannot absorb that much content in your head, you know, 160 hours worth of content, and then do a pass-fail test on it on these arbitrary things. So I helped them to create objectives and they said, okay, we'll give it a try. So we created objectives, um, we put in quizzes, we founded a quality assurance group so that you could test the people when they got on the floor. We went back to the beginning of the hiring process and redid the hiring process so you're only getting able-bodied candidates in the door. And then we created an OJT program that was really good at helping people practice the objectives that we had written. And we took success rate up to 97%. Wow. And so, so you, went from, you went from 66% fail failure to, mm-hmm. to 97% pass. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. Yep. That's so it worked pretty, really well. Cool. So they said, well, that worked really great. So why don't you take Cheyenne, Wyoming? So then I took over the training of Cheyenne, Wyoming. And they said, well, that's going well. Why don't you take Sioux Falls, South Dakota? So here I was at like 23 years old at these exotic places of Omaha. Wow. Cheyenne, Wyoming, and Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And that's where I went every week. I would spend a week at each location. Garden and, spots, all of them. Oh, it was awesome. I wasn't even old enough to rent a car. Um, and because I had to drive <laughs> to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, because you can't fly to Sioux Falls, Sioux Falls South Dakota for under $1,000. I was like, route me through Hawaii. It doesn't matter. It's a thousand bucks to land there. At least it was in the like 2000s. So, so, yeah. so you found yourself a training person. You, you had been a held orders manager mm-hmm. and na- now you're training people. On technology, which I swore I would never do again. I <laughs> swore I, when I left computer science, I said, I will never do technology again. And I was wrong. I did a lot of it. So, so that's how I got to HR. I came up through the training route and ended up doing, and obviously I had a soft skills background. So, um, my husband did some GI Joe stuff and deployed to Iraq. So I opened my own business and consulted with companies, um, did soft skills training, technical training. And uh, then when I entered back into the workforce, when he was done GI Joeing, I uh, went up through the OD path and um, found myself the head of a global HR for NTT security um, with 1500 employees around the world. 
So it was Crazy. a trip. Yeah, it was a trip. Yeah. And I kept thinking, I'm the OD girl. What am I supposed to be doing here? <laughs> but we figured it out. And, good. And, and now you're at the you're you're at an ethics organization. I know. <laughs> yeah. So from alliance. from technology to business business ethics alliance, um, that's an interesting shift. Mm-hmm. In in that role, you know, given that your your mission is to help companies, you know, behave behave stay yes. stay out of trouble. Um, what are the challenges that you're seeing? in this weirdo time is it is it you know normal stuff is it new things what what are you seeing as 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 challenges to you know to solid ethics in in this time yeah i think the biggest thing that i'm seeing to solid ethics is that people's foundations aren't exactly what they thought they were so mm. they created these values and stuck them up on walls because there was this book somewhere that said you have to have a mission you have to have values and you you know so they followed the list and they they so they got the values up on the wall and they have things like employee first or whatever and then all of a sudden they can't come into the office and they start saying well hang on well i need you here it's like well but your value said employee first, or so what, what is the need of mine over the client first? Well, no, we didn't really mean that. So the <laughs> biggest thing I've seen is that people trying to actually live their values right now are finding that maybe the values they had weren't the best. But the other thing that I'm seeing that's super um, prevalent is that trust is really being um, uh, challenged. So a lot of companies still have into their minds that I need to see your butt in a seat. And what's been interesting is through my career, I've ended up with a lot of global virtual teams. So I've had to kind of rethink how work should be done. Um, And the way it needs to get done for me is very project centric. Um, So how long should it take for you to do X type of project? Okay, get it done. However you need to get it done. If you need to go to the doctors at two o'clock in the afternoon, go to the doctors at two o'clock in the afternoon, then get back and do this. But that's not the common thinking of medium and small size companies. Medium and small size companies, uh, the majority, not all of them, uh, want to see your behind in a chair from eight to five to feel like they've gotten the value out of you. And I'm watching people today still struggling with this concept of working and you have to be physically in the location to work. So what was interesting is the company when I joined them also believed you had to be in the seat in the location. Um, So it was really scary for them to flip to virtual teaming Um, But it was super fast for us. I'm like, listen, we already are using Google Docs behind the scene. We just went ahead and stood up Slack. We put in um, standard check-in meetings, right? And it's just like, you can connect. You can do this. You just have to be willing and intentional in doing it. And a lot of people still think this is temporary. They're they're really worried (laughs) about this concept of how long it's going to be. And so they're not willing to jump into the technology they need to support it. Um, or even worse, they keep, you know, asking their employees what they're doing every five minutes, and and that's just scary. That's not a good way to work. Um, Do you find that 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 breaks along generational lines? <laughs> yeah. So what I find is that the millennials have been asking for this for a long time. 
Um, and the gig economy concept is, is legitimate. And I've watched some really big companies start to do some creative stuff. Like how many hours do you work for us before we start to give you benefits, right? Not, not we have to hire you for a 2080 a year job anymore, but now if you work up to this many hours, you're now eligible to come into our benefits package. They're starting to rearrange how to get these gig and millennials actually to be able to work for them while still showing up some of the things that we don't offer in this country, which is like <laughs> medical benefits across the board, right? So, so it's still a competitive, it's a, it's a differentiator for them. Um, so I'm finding that millennials all along have been asking for something that provides a little more work-life balance, flexibility. They're asking companies to be more willing to do um, CSR. Um, they're, they're driving this stuff. And the, the truth is, is that we have to answer it. So, um, Unfortunately, it has been kind of older folks that have been saying, um, I really need to see butts in seats. But I've met tons of um, older managers that are not that way. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just coincidentally lining up that it seems to be the ones that are like, we've got to get back in the office. Was literally an old white lawyer last week saying this. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're so stereotypical. And he was, he was really pushing this point home. But... <clears throat> Um, I'm not sure that it is, um, I am not a millennial and I love what they're doing. So I'm like, I want to come in on your bandwagon. I want more right. work-life balance. I want, want more flexibility and I want a company that contributes to the greater with the world. That, that's really important. It's funny, you, you reminded me of, I was working for a software company, I don't know, 10 years ago. And one of the developers, young guy, got into it with, our CFO, older white lady, and we were going through uh, a situation where we had, uh, we were replacing the air conditioning. And so the building was like 200 degrees and nobody wanted to be Miserable. there. Right. <laughs> and so each team was sort of launching their own work from home, work remote program. And the CFO hated it. And I heard <laughs> the two of them kind of getting into it in the cafeteria one day <laughs> And he said a thing that just made me laugh so hard. He said, what is it with you people at eight o'clock? I don't get it. <laughs> what is so, so special about 8 a.m.? <laughs> right? Seriously. It's a number on a clock. So I know. What, what I think is interesting about this, Eve, this notion of, you know, a, a group of people, a generation, if you will, wanting and having been pushing for this for a long time, we would have never done it because of the risk involved. Yeah, correct. Right. But right, right now, we don't have a choice, right? Yep. Risk and cost. So I take a look at, um, I was talking to the senior ethicist for, um, our Nebraska medicine. And he said, if you look at telehealth, we've been resisting it for years because of the cost associated with it and having to figure out all the details around it. We flip that thing around in weeks and we're never going back. Right. So I think there's a lot of things that are inhibiting people from jumping into this space. But look how quickly not only have we figured it out, but the majority of people are being successful. And before this, um, I worked for a company that had remote and regular. And I was really astonished when I talked to the managers. They're like, what do I have to do special for my remote employees? I was like, absolutely nothing. 
So what would you do for your regular employees? If you would walk by a regular employee's desk and say, how you doing? Then I expect you to ping your remote employees remotely and say, how you doing? Are you having one-on-ones? Are you talking to them? If they're not doing their work, are you telling them you're not doing your work? When, you know, I was expecting this by two o'clock on Friday, I didn't get it. I have, you know, other work waiting for you to get done. So are we holding people accountable? It's just the location, right? It's not, it's not about a different style of management. It's about being cognizant that people have needs to be respected and to be wanted and to be needed and they need human contact. They need that if they're sitting next to us or if they're somewhere else remote and we just have to be intentional about it. Yeah. It's interesting too, you know, I I think about this notion of having the playing field leveled, right? Mm -hmm. Because tech companies, you know, I've spent most of my career in tech companies and we always had distributed teams, but it was, there was a core group of people in the office and then there was the onesie twosies who were out in the field. Um, (laughs) So when we'd have a meeting or a get together, you know, there'd be 12 of us in a conference room eating pizza and poor Eve at home in Omaha eating dry toast by herself. Right. <laughs> right. And now, and, and now we're all eating dry toast by ourselves. <laughs> that's exactly right. And what's funny about that is, um, so it was probably about 10 years ago, I started playing with distributed teams and I was at a, um, an international company. I was doing communications for this company in their OD realm. And we had the strategy of what we wanted. We had 5,000 employees and I had to get the strategy in the hands of every employee. The company had been through a lot of change. So I said, I want it to come from the managers. I want the manager to talk directly to the employees. And so we said, okay, let's do that. So I set up this deck, you know, here's your PowerPoint slides you have to share. It's like 15 you had to share and then like 90 in the appendix you could choose from, but this is what you have to share. And then I checked up on the managers. I actually started spot calling employees around the world and saying, what do you know? What were you told? What's, how did this go? What do you think about it? What's the strategy in one word or less? I mean, just stuff like that. And what I found is every time there was that team you were just talking about, there's 10 people in Omaha and these two stragglers that are usually like in India or Romania or somewhere over the ocean. Every time that that conversation had to jump the ocean, it failed every time Mm. because a manager was like, well, I'll record this and Sally can just watch it on her own time. (laughs) That was like the number one tool of management at the time. So I thought, wasn't that interesting? So I decided to do some stuff different with my team because I had a team like that at the time. I had a group of people in Omaha and I had one in Romania and two in India. So I said, no more. We will no longer go into a, a team meeting in a room we will always do these remotely from this moment on. So I had three people sitting together in cubicles that are on the phone in the same session. It was unbelievable what it did for my team camaraderie um, because Mm -hmm. now they all got on. And instead of asking the person sitting next to you, what are you doing Saturday? They started asking each other on the calls. They were intentional. When somebody's phone was kicking out in India because the lines weren't that good 10 years ago, somebody else would hurry up and I am them. Oh no, this is what was said. Like they paid attention to each other as being on the call. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was the idea of leveling the playing field. And now that's where we all are. Right. And we have to be intentional about how we work with one another to work together. Well, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I I love that story. Um, It makes me think of uh, a client that, that we work with, uh, from time to time, 
You're probably familiar with them. They rhyme with frugal. (laughs) um, They had a policy. Small little company. Yeah, tiny, tiny startup. Um, They had a policy called Cam's Up that um, when we first started working with them, I I didn't love because I don't like looking at this. Um, (laughs) But they have largely distributed teams. They put their teams together based on talent versus location. So you're spanning the globe on most teams. You, you may have a, a concentration of, you know, 10 or 15% in a location, but that's really about it. So basically when you get together and get on a meeting, cameras are on. Yep. And, and what's interesting about that, that's different than a conference call, because, you know, conference call, you log in and until everybody's there, it's hard to even remember conference calls right now anymore. <laughs> um, you know, you, you, you dial in and until everybody's there, you keep doing your stuff. You're just doing your email yep. or whatever. Well, their policy of cams up was you dial in cams up as soon as you dial in. And what was interesting about that was it, it took us, it took me like about three weeks to acclimate to that yeah. idea. Yeah. And then the small talk conversations that happen in a meeting room while we're waiting for the leader to get there just started happening naturally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because I had seen you in, in this digital space a handful of times, I knew a little bit about you. I knew you had kids. I knew they were boys. I knew mm-hmm. kind of what, what they were into. And we ended up having these conversations that we would have never had on a right. conference call. Right. And, and I, I thought that was a really cool thing. And I thought, man, there's no way that's ever going to catch on. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> and here and here we are. Well, if you remember, so um, a boss I had before here was out of the UK, and she mm-hmm. had a cameras on requirement, and mm. it just killed us because the meeting times were either six a.m. my time, that hit the <laughs> UK at about two o'clock or some out one o'clock. I don't even know what time. No, that'd be noon. Hit them at noon, and then it hit the Australian group at like nine p.m. So all of us are trying to get on this call. So you've got Australia trying to go to bed, us trying to get up. So then we'd switch it and rotate it around. So sometimes it would be evening time for the UK, and at first it was super uncomfortable because. Six o'clock in the morning, it's like WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get, man. I show up, my hair's like this. There's no makeup on. I'm still got a pillow mark, you know, and I've got a cup of coffee in my hand. I'm like, I'm on, you know, and, <laughs> but we all got used to that. Like it wasn't, no. it actually kind of pulled some of the pretense away from us and actually started to get us a little deeper into the social penetration theory, the whole calm mm-hmm. theory of how we get to know each other. Shrek was mm-hmm. brilliant. We are like onions. We have layers, right? So it, it created these questions. Somebody's in their workout gear and you're like, what are you on your way from? You know, it's like, oh, I do yoga. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it opens all these conversations and you start to get to know people all from having cameras up. And But yeah. the cool thing about cameras up is I can catch your nonverbals. I can catch the idiosyncrasies. I can see when you're scrunching your eyes. I can, you know, it's, I don't know. It's just pretty cool. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about your, you know, your time in corporate. Mm-hmm. You, you, you spent a lot of time as leadership development, OD, talent person. You coached a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. What are the things that have served you the best 
over the years in that space. That's that's where most of us live. We live in, in HR, OD, L&D, talent. Um, what are the things that have served you the best over the years in your career? Well, the first is to um, this idea of strength-based leadership, right? So realizing that your team um, shouldn't be people just like you. So when I first got out into corporate America, I really wanted a group of people that were like me because that made sense to me, right? I knew what I was good at and I wanted to increase my efficiency. I wanted to increase my productivity. And my way to do that was to hire people like me who could do more of what I did. <laughs> so that's like having 10 of me, <laughs> as it turns right. out, that's a really bad thing. So you don't want 10 of Eve. It's, it's a lot to take. So what I found actually is way cooler is to hire people who have complementary skill sets um, and then create an entire team of complementary skill sets. So maybe I have two people that are strong at something on the team together so they can do fallback for each other. Um, but then uh, the other person pulls something in. So somebody's really good at organizing us. Somebody I never keep track of anybody's birthdays. There's always somebody on our team that's like the social person, right? They're the ones that make sure that everybody's birthday is celebrated, that we remember that somebody's um, graduating from a so-and-so or their kid is doing this. Um, there's always somebody that can be detail-oriented and making sure we're following the project uh, correctly and getting it done, an implementer. And then there's your big thinker people. But it, it's having that um, creative mix has been um, really awesome. And then to cross train each other has been really a cool way. So because everybody talks about development and development is this like scary word for a lot of people. Like it has to be this massive development plan and I have to be sending you to 14 conferences a year or I'm not investing in you. Um, and development isn't really about that. Cross training and actually learning from a peer can be part of somebody's development plan and mm -hmm. trying to take a better, more holistic look at what it means to grow, read a book, read an article. Um, you have a person each week bring an article in that they found interesting on in your industry and report it back to the group um, just so that we can help each other to continuously get better and better. Um, yeah. Um, thinking about that concept of, of team and building a team, you know, intentionally going out and hiring people that aren't good at what you do is, is a lift. How do you, how do you get that team to connect, to, to gel, to come together? Yeah. So the biggest and the fastest way that I do for gelling is I give them a problem and I get the hell out of their way. Um, <laughs> So we had this team in Romania that had a really toxic manager. I mean, really toxic manager. Um, he was undermining the senior leadership team who was out of America and was creating this huge sense of fear and insecurity in the team out there. And we made the decision that we had to remove him. And it couldn't happen slowly. This guy was cancerous. We had to remove him fast. And the, the SVP is like, well, what am I going to do? Because it's going to leave a vacuum, a hole for these people that have all been kind of feeding off of this guy's fear. And I'm like, give them an unsolvable problem. They were all technical people, right? So I might like, give them something that they can work on that's hard and will require them to lean on each other and each other's strengths and stay out of their way. Because they've been told so long how to think, how to feel, and how to act. If you want these folks to gel, then you have to give them a task and have them solve it together um, with you not in the way. And it was a really effective and fast way to get that team turned around. And it gave them a sense of accomplishment and success to work together. 
That's awesome. I, I, I love that you said, give them an unsolvable problem. That's, a, that's an interesting, it. right? <laughs> <laughs> They'll um, solve it. And they did. They actually ended up with a new product line out of it. So that's good. <laughs> that's cool. What, what, about, what about this notion of, you know, business is business and personal is personal. What, what's your take on, oh. on, on having, people, having people talk about actual life stuff? Yeah, it it has to happen. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I think that's one of the worst things we've ever done in corporate America is we've decided that I don't pay you for your personal um, opinions and beliefs. So special interest groups and organizations are one of the most amazing things ever founded. So SIGs is what we used to call them, SIGs. And uh, I've been in the technology realm for a really long time. And what we found is we could connect people on a love of cats we could connect people on a love of gardening. We could connect them on boating. And what was hilarious is these two people go deep into the trenches on cats and then a project goes red, right? You're coding, you got to get this thing released by Friday. It's breaking everywhere. And the, the guy you connected with over cats is willing to stay overnight and work that damn project with you like nobody's business, right? So this idea of allowing people to be human, to bring their interests to work and to connect to one another and actually do it on company time what? Is, <laughs> is so impactful. People don't work this nine to five concept. They don't work 40 hours straight through. They need breaks. They need to think. And they have these ebbs and flows of creativity and ebbs and flows of productive time. And we can't make people feel bad for not being completely on for 40 freaking hours dead straight through. And we need to give them an opportunity to connect to one another as human beings and get to know each other. And they will do amazing things together if you do. Yeah, it's funny. It spawned so many thoughts in my head. When you say SIGs, <laughs> special interest groups, it takes me way back to my pre-internet bulletin board days. Yes. <laughs> when, when you you took your acoustic phone and put it in a modem uh -huh. and you would go you would go onto these bulletin boards and they were organized by interest, by topic. Yep. And and I you know, I met so many people that I never would have met and ended up doing things with them, music things or work things or whatever. Careful what you disclosed. <laughs> yes, I will not talk about my time in the Dungeons and Dragons SIG. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> but this this notion of, of doing this, allowing people to connect as, as human beings with each other at work and, and sponsoring it, right, yes. as an organization... Um, because we talk about this a lot here, just this, the notion of, especially now and in, in, in this time, when we find ourselves as Americans working on average three hours longer a day than we did in February. Um, and I don't know about everybody else, but, you know, myself, I don't give myself extra credit for working late, but I still feel bad when I'm not working at 2.30 in the afternoon. Exactly. Um, and so, so what's your advice on, e even if the company isn't doing anything holistically, as a leader of a team, what are the things that you can do to make that okay? 
Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot that goes into answering that question. First of all, you have to talk to your team, right? You have to be real intentional with your team and you have to be able to say to them, um, you know what? I see you. I see that you have delivered on this project. I watched that that project had 15 obstacles and I watched you overcome those obstacles. And I know that you're working um, hard and late. So, you know, when you're trying to take this half day off of PTO, just take the just take it. Don't take the PTO. Just step away from the computer, breathe a little bit, and be <clears throat> be okay. But that gets into a major issue we've got, which is rules. We're very rule bound as organizations, and there's an uh, um, there's an interesting thing. Um, Milgram's study. Uh, anybody take Psychology 101, where you had to learn about Milgram, and so in Psych 101, there was this guy, this this um, academic, who was like, I can't believe that anybody would follow um, what happened in the Nazi concentration camps. I cannot believe that this many people would be willing to carry out those atrocities. What the heck is wrong with people? So he went out to test, was authority really that big of an indicator of people, people's willingness to do unethical behavior? And freakishly, holy crap, it was. So what he huh. did to set, to set up these studies is he had um, like a, an actor that would pretend to be a student, and then he would bring in another student, and he would say, okay, your job is to shock this person every time they get an answer wrong. And the first level of shock is like just a little buzz, and, but it goes up to like four, and I, I suck at details, so I think it's like 400 something. I don't know. Um, but it's enough to kill you. Okay. So it can go up that high. So as these people are apparently giving the wrong answer and the person's supposed to be shocking them, they actually start to get physically tense as they're going up in the shocking ranks. And they're starting to get physically ill by having to give these higher level shocks. And they're starting to say, I don't want to do it. Because every time they'd shock this actor, the actor would like, ah, you know, yell and give this negative feedback and you're hurting me. And, and they weren't they weren't really shocking him to be they to weren't be clear. really shocking them. No, no, no. <laughs> Nobody was harmed in the making of this 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 exercise. Um, but there was the the guy running the 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 thing was standing on the side saying, you have to, this is your job. You required, you signed up for this. This is what you said you would do. You said you were willing to carry this all the way through. Well, over 70% of the people took it to a level um, uh, four, the highest you could get, the one that could actually kill people. And every single person took it to a level three. And they thought, well, maybe that's just a fluke. They repeated it over and over and over again. And in our place in the ethics world, we call that a blind spot um, of authority, that you're willing to do things that authority figures tell us. Well, that carries to us into business. And sometimes businesses don't even have to tell us stuff. I ask managers all the time, why are you so hard on that employee, you know, that they have to be at their desk at this time or this time or this? And he's like, it's a rule. I know it's a rule. I'm like, where? Where is this rule? I, I don't see this rule. They have this idea in their head that there's this big boss watching over them with this book of thou shalt and thou shalt not. And they're not willing to challenge it. They're not willing to try it. And they're not defending those team members. The biggest, most influential person in a company to an employee is their direct manager. 
And that direct manager is the most, um, is, is the number one indicator if an employee is going to feel engaged, satisfied, and willing to go above and beyond and give discretionary effort. It's all up to that manager. And this manager is sitting there waiting to be told what they can and cannot do and believing that they have these authority figures over the top of them telling them that they can't have these liberties. There's very few companies that are actually like that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty fascinating. The, the self-imposed limitations we put on our, on ourselves around what we think we're allowed to do and not allowed to do what we think the expectations are or, or, or what we think puts us and our teams in the best light. We make that shit up all day All the time. All the time. I had a group, um, I had this group of, of directors once this blew my mind and I'm not talking like five or six directors. I'm talking about almost every freaking director at the company. We had gone through a lot of change, a whole bunch of change. And I had this executive team that was so frustrated because they kept putting out strategy and the strategy would fall flat. Nobody was picking it up and trying to implement it. So I pulled the directors into a room and I said, said strategy, what are you doing about it? And they said, we're waiting to be told. Uh, wait, wait, I don't <laughs> understand. What do you mean? I'm waiting for my, my SVP to tell me what he wants me to do. I'm like, no, you're the director. So as the director of the company, you take that strategy and decide how can I implement this to the best of my abilities and you cascade that out to your team. They literally were on hold. And I'm not talking one or two, I was talking about the whole bloody company was on hold waiting to be told what to do. And it wasn't, we actually had to go in and tell them, you are empowered. Here you go. Here you go. This is your moment. I grant it to you now. I want you to go forth and direct. And you know, and but it was a really big because it's your job. <laughs> but it's this 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 weight, you know. I, I feel like I can't do anything right. I can't well do something. <laughs> Step forth and move, manage. <laughs> right. Yeah. So Eve. If we could all do one thing different to improve our quality of life during this crazy time, how should we show up differently? What can we do? Yeah. What's your, what's your golden nugget for us? Yeah, my golden nugget. Good God, that's a good one. Um, well, I think I'm going to do the golden nugget that I was using before, which is connect to your people. Um, absolutely connect to one another in ways that maybe we haven't done before. Um, I've seen companies sending out um, lunches at the same time. So they're doing grub hubs. So they're doing virtual lunches. Oh, that's where, cool. Yeah, everybody gets a, a certificate to order lunch and it all gets delivered around the same time and they get online and they do lunches together. Um, but for me, the number one thing that people can do right now is be intentional about connecting to one another as human beings and being allowed to have those relationships, even though they look different, because this temporary is lasting a really long time. So. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I love that. I, lo- I, lo- I love the idea of, I, I don't know why I never thought about the whole DoorDash Grubhub thing where you can actually send the same food. So I don't have to have dry toast. I can have pizza like everybody else is having or whatever. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a super idea. Super idea. We're lucky right. we live in a whole different time for that now. Because that would right. not happen in 10 years ago. No. Oh. You you can have anything show up at your door in minutes. It's weird. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's cool. E- even that stuff. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> you well behaved. 
Guys, what questions do you have for for Eve and and just anything that we've talked about? We've covered a lot of ground from everything from from crazy career journeys to uh, to uh, ethical dilemmas. This notion of of trust, the generational divide therein. We've talked about um, how how to build connection in and among teams, and and. <laughs> It's funny when you started talking about the the Milgram study. It made me think of 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 my sort of baseline golden nugget, and that's that's the oh. don't be a dick rule. I love that. <laughs> Just be nice. Just be nice. <laughs> don't be a dick. If you if you could do anything today, don't mm-hmm. be a dick. That's exactly. <laughs> that sounds like good advice. <laughs> so, so Eve, I was thinking about when you talked about the the group of directors who were waiting. Right to be told, and I don't know if this is a appropriate or inappropriate analogy to a study that was done on monkeys. Um, oh, <laughs> but, but I know where you're going. Right, so they had there were there were these monkeys, and they had bananas that every time a monkey climbed this ladder to get to the banana, they would get like cold water sprayed, sprayed all over them. Right, and so then over time the group learned if any monkey went to the top of the ladder, they would grab him and beat the crap out of him. Like, no, nobody touches the bananas because we all get hosed down with wet water and that's no good. So they slowly started substituting the monkeys. So they'd bring in a new monkey, right? They'd train him. Right? And the first time he climbed the ladder, they beat the crap out of him until eventually they had rotated out all of the monkeys None of the monkeys in the room had ever been sprayed with water, but they all knew if you climb the ladder, you get beat up. That's and exactly so right. That, right? It's that whole idea of not once, but over and over reminding people they are empowered to do yep. the thing. And that yep. if there's this lore of history of you don't, you don't take risks because you get fired, right? Yep. Nobody's ever experienced that. <laughs> but yeah. somehow there's this fear that that's going to happen. And so you have to, you have to work against that proactively or you get the, you know, beating up the monkey who tries to get the bananas. No, yeah. that's absolutely perfect. There's a, so there's a bias called the conformity bias, right? Where, so, so they had a negative reinforcement in that example you had, but there's been other studies and this one actually wasn't even a study. It was a TV show. It was like one of those hidden cameras where, there was this um, guy that came into a waiting room. He was waiting for an eyeglass appointment and this ding would go off and the guy would stand up and sit down. He was an actor. So he'd stand up and sit down every time the ding went off and it happened over and over again. And the next guy comes in who was not an actor and he notices this guy is like standing up every time the ding happens. Eventually he starts standing up too. And he has no idea why the other guy's standing up. He's just following along. And then he goes off into the background and another person comes in and it dings and I'll be damned. He trains the next guy to stand up. So they're all standing up, but it's a conformity bias. It's this desire to fit in. So even in your, in your monkey situation, even if you get a go-getter in there, that group will push to pull him down. But that person will also, so instead of breaking free from that, wants to conform to whatever the norm is, whether they're aware of what that norm is or not. Unfortunately, it can also be unethical behavior. So when when that thing happened at mm-hmm. um, Wells Fargo, so oh, when they yeah, yeah. when they started opening those accounts up and without asking permission, some people came in and they're like, "What the? 
but they were getting positive reinforcement. They were getting rewarded for it. They weren't being held accountable for it. And so other people started doing it. They were actually training each other, which is how it became such a big deal. It's that conformity bias concept. But so, yeah, it can cause a lot of interesting issues. <laughs> it's a good one. Funny. Any other questions for Eve? Just more of a comment, Eve. I really appreciated the fact that you chose to reach out to one another. I feel like we are so isolated. And even though we have all of our social networking and everything that we're dealing with right now, um, it's not enough. And yeah. it, it's very much I miss the people that are in my support team and I don't see them and I don't talk to them. So yeah. I think after this call, I'll reach out to a few people. Maybe do a maybe do a lunch with them too. I've got a group of friends that every other week at one o'clock we do a virtual. We just get together and talk about what's been going on the last couple of weeks. And I have to tell you, to Eric's point, that was so hard for me to put that in the calendar because I was like, it's the working hours. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it makes me a better employee after that I've had this chance to actually decompress with people. For sure. What I'm noticing is people are getting fully booked, double booked, triple booked, where then they're having to prioritize which meeting do I not go to and who do I let down or who do I whatever, just to get through the day. Yeah. And people aren't even being respectful of, you know, you have the technology to see if they've got a space in their Outlook calendar and well, screw it, I'm scheduling it anyways. And it yeah. creates this anxiety and this daily juggle of how am I going to spend, to Eric's point, how am I going to spend my nine to 10 hour day now where the idea of can I actually just sit with my team and have coffee for 30 minutes seems unattainable, yep. <laughs> right? Yep. Because what do you, do you ditch the two business meetings that were scheduled during that time? And, and so I feel like, and, and that's something I'm hearing more in, in our organization. And so I think that's something that we're going to need to address at the executive level to start changing those norms because those norms are headed in a really unhealthy direction. One of the things too to focus on is giving people space. So mm -hmm. we haven't had space uh, since the pandemic has started. I've noticed we've had less space to think, less yep. space to act. And then so creating space in our in our calendars, actual room to digest what happened from the last meeting into the next meeting. Mm -hmm. um, it's, we're missing space. It's just not existing right now. So yeah. Ruby and I were on, a, on a, a workshop today with a client and it was about time and energy management, mm -hmm. ironically. Um, and it was interesting because the CTO of this organization was letting the team know about uh, some functionality within Office 365 that will automatically schedule focus time for you. It'll drop it into your calendar, <laughs> which I thought was super cool, right? Because then it, it takes the, the onus off of you. You don't have to feel guilty about it, right? You, you push the button and then it drops it in on your calendar and nobody can step on that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that's a really slick little idea especially for folks who feel obligated or compelled to always be working. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Because that then, then people can't, they can't step on that at least in, unless in Lori's example, they just go, screw it. I'm stepping on it anyway. <laughs> did you just do a double middle finger, Lori Lance? <laughs> I, I think you did. I did. 
<laughs> but you know, you know, creating that space intentionally, and, and and let's be honest, right? If we built out white space in our week, and we were only able to participate in twenty five percent of it, we'd all be better off, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we'd all be better off. Um, so. I, I think that's 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 like the platinum nugget of the day. Schedule schedule some time for you to do what, whatever the hell you want to do. Mm-hmm. Read an article, read a chapter out of a book, go for a walk, go hit golf balls, sit and stare at the wall, whatever it is, right? I mean, th- this notion, and we talked about this in the workshop today, that sometimes your best thoughts come when your brain isn't, solely focused on a task, right? That's why there's this whole idea about shower thoughts, right? The notion that your best ideas come when you're taking a shower because you're not thinking about anything and you're letting those processes just transpire. Um, But we have to give ourselves permission to do it. And and if if we do that on a weekly basis or I don't know, pick your time increment, if we do that on on an incremental basis, and even if we only hit half the time, well, we'd all be better off, I think. Eve, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. This has been awesome. You're amazing. I love everything about you. You're one of my favorites. <laughs> oh, that's great. That just makes me feel happy. <laughs> thank you. All right. I'm going to give you guys some funny stuff and send you on your way. Today's funny stuff are HR memes. I thought you would appreciate this. So funny thing number one, I got to move my windows around here. (laughs) HR in 2020, but wait, there's more. (laughs) When you put SPHR next to your name on LinkedIn. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Funny thing number three. When the CEO stays on script during the all hands. <laughs> Cause I think we've all, I think we've all been there. <laughs> oh, this one's for Laurel. I love asking employees if they have a minute, scares them every time. <laughs> oh, that's so me. <laughs> and my favorite HR meme of the day Cause who doesn't love a good Jules Pulp Fiction meme? Say employment engagement survey one more time. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and guys, guys, I, I, I did two workshops today, and I didn't have a lot of time. So your semi quarantine cocktail today is cheap beer. Yeah. Hey. It works. You'll see, you'll see some great, greatest hits in here. You, Schlitz, Old Kill, PBR. PBR. And I didn't even know. See, I was aware of Beast Light, Beast Ice. I did not know there was a Milwaukee's Best Premium. Premium. <laughs> that an oxymoron. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. It was great to see you. Eve, thanks so much for being with mm-hmm. us today. You guys are amazing. Love you all. We'll see you. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. 
Thanks again. And remember, you always got friends at the Corporate Bartender. <laughs>